And uh, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, turn with me to 1 Kings 17. 1 King, Kings 17. And so, yes, we're glad uh, each of you are here. And, and uh, the big idea of our series, and you have it there in your notes, if you look to your notes as you're turning to 1 Kings 17, is loyalty in times of apostasy. And we're in 1 Kings 17. And that chart kind of tells you it's three stories. There's three stories in chapter 17. And two weeks ago, we saw the first story, which was the story of uh, God feeding Elijah, you know, uh, at the brook Cherif by the ravens and by the brook. We're going to look at the second story today about him being in the city of Zarephath and being fed by an unclean Gentile widow. And then next week we'll look at Elijah with the same widow raising her son from the dead. Now, between these three stories, they're bracketed on either side by Elijah before Ahab. So let's take a look at this. If you, We had some, uh, some dynamic uh, Bible, Bible pictures here. So Elijah in 17.1 confronts King Ahab the apostate king of Israel, and says, it ain't going to rain no more, no more. It ain't going to rain no more until I say so. And so what happens then is the word of the Lord comes to him, and the Lord says, look, I'm going to provide for you providentially. And so go to the brook Cherif, and there is a brook you can drink from, and I will commission my ravens to feed you morning and evening. And so he travels, and uh, he travels about 50 miles, 40 to 50 miles on foot, and he hides out in the brook Cherith. So that's the first story, right? And then he's drinking, he's being fed. I mean, it was just, you know, really kind of crazy. He's being protected from King Ahab, but he's being provided for by the king of kings. And so there he's drinking, he's doing until one day the brook dries up. Why? Because it's in a drought. It's in a drought. And so each day it's getting less and less and less, but the Lord had told him to go there and he wasn't going to leave until the Lord said so. And so finally the day came when there was no more water in the brook. And he's there and he's, it's like, what am I going to do? And so the word of the Lord, and that's where we are today in 1 Kings 17, 7. Look at what it says. 1 Kings 17, 7. And we'll go back. It happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Makes sense, doesn't it? And yet the Lord had him there. And, and then it says, verse 8, then, once the, once the brook dried up, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow to provide for you. The very same words that he said in verse 4, I have commanded the ravens to provide for you. Now he says, I have commanded a widow. And so last two weeks ago, we saw an unlikely provision. Today, we're going to see an unlikely provider. Uh, widows, you know, a widow provide, providing in those days was like an oxymoron. Okay, widow, nothing, poverty, 
are going to provide for you. And yet, look at what he does. Verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold. And that means, behold, look, just as the Lord said, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, please give me a little water in a jar that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, hey, With that water, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread. Only a handful of flour in a bowl and a little oil in a jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. She is on the precipice. She is having her last meal, and it ain't much. Verse 13, Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as I have said. But make me a little bread cake from it first, and bring it out to me, and afterward you may make one for yourself and for your son. Now you might say, man, that's kind of a little rude, isn't it? But remember, this is the prophet of God. He is speaking and representing God to this widow. And God's going to provide, but God provides when you put him first. Okay, and that's the idea. For thus says the Lord God of Israel. See, there he's saying, I'm not saying this. For thus says the Lord God of Israel. The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. And so we're probably already a year into the drought, and there's going to be two more years, year and a half more of this. And he's saying, look, he's going to provide for you day by day until the day it rains again. Verse 15, look at her response. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. This is the unlikely provider. The bowl and the flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord which he spoke through Elijah. And so the word of the Lord comes to him and says, Get up. Get out of here. Go to Zarephath and stay there. I have a widow who I have commissioned to provide for you. And so off he goes and off he treks. And, you know, in the Bible, it's like one verse. And you're like, okay, you know, that's cool. Got in his car, traveled. No, no. This this is how far this guy's going, okay? So he's already traveled and walked from Samaria about 50 miles, 40 to 50 miles to the Brook Cherith. Now he's going to travel another uh, about 100. 90 to 100. Basically, Audra, it'd be walking from here to Maryville, right? Okay, yeah, it's ridiculous. So it's like a 31-hour walk in our day. I I would presume it it probably took about four days for him to make that 
area. And he went right along the, the River Jordan, so he was able to have water. We don't know how he got food. I don't know if the ravens followed him. Bible doesn't tell us that. The point was, he needed to get to Zarephath because that's where the Lord had predestined and appointed and commissioned a Gentile, Baal-worshipping widow to provide for him. And so that kind of sets up our story. Now, if you see in our chart, this, these three stories in First um, Kings 17 cover the three, three and a half years of the drought. And so they begin in 17.1 with the prophet confronting Ahab. It ain't going to rain no more. And then in 18.1, God sends him to Ahab again to say, it's going to rain, the Lord says so. And so these three stories are linked by three ideas. All three stories are linked by the theme of death. So much so that next week, the widow's son is going to die. But everybody's on the verge of death. It's a drought. The second theme is God's provision through His sovereign Word. So everything happens in response to obeying God's Word by faith. And the third theme is that Baal, the fertility god of rain and the fertility god of, gr- of grain and wheat, is defeated by the true God, the God Yahweh. So those are kind of the three ideas we're going to keep seeing. And what's interesting is, he's now going to the heart of Jezebel country. He's going to Baal country. And guess what? Baal's not doing too good for his people. They're, they're starving. They're suffering. They're on the verge of death. And Yahweh's man is going to come. Yahweh's prophet's going to come in the heart of Baal country and show who the true God is. Is that just awesome? It's really kind of the theme of Easter that we're looking at. In the midst of death comes life from the one true God. So here's the lessons I want you to see. First of all, lessons from the Lord's provision for Elijah. Um, he travels and he meets the widow. I will say this, in the story, this is why you can't use uh, all props you find online. So they got this boy young enough or old enough to help her pick up sticks. That's not what it says. It says the widow was picking up the sticks. No mention of the boy. I believe he was too young to be out there and helping. But he come, Elijah comes into town and finds the widow. And so uh, that's where we're at. Okay. So here's what I want you to see. Lessons from the Lord's provision for Elijah. The Lord's provision is providential. That's what we saw at the Brook Cherif. Uh, the Lord... The Lord provides providentially for him day by day. The ravens come day by day. The water is there getting shallower and shallower day by day. But what I want you to see this morning is that the Lord's provision always has a purpose. The Lord's provision always has a purpose. And in the story I just read to you, we're going to find why does God provide for His loyal remnant in the worst of times. Why does God provide for you when you're hopeless and helpless? Why does He do it? He has a purpose, and we're going to see what that purpose is. And so I read to you the story, and it really answers two questions this morning. The, the, the main question is, why does God provide for His loyal remnant? We're going to get to that. 
But before we get to that question, I want to answer this one, and it's there in your notes. How does the Lord continue to provide for His loyal remnant? How does He continue to provide? Because even though, even though Elijah has moved places, God is going to provide in the same way that we learned in our previous lesson. And so if this outline seems familiar to you, it's because God is teaching the same thing to His prophet. You know, sometimes we take notes and then we go, okay, that's good, teach us something new. And the Lord is teaching Elijah and He's teaching us that He's going to continue to provide for you in the worst of times by this same pattern. So let's look at it. How does the Lord continue to provide? Well, number one, by the power of His sovereign Word. By the power of His sovereign Word. And so look again at verse 9. <clears throat> Once again, the story begins, then the Word of the Lord came to him. Don't skip over that. Don't take that lightly. It's by the power of His sovereign Word that the Lord is going to provide. And the story ends with a threefold reminder that the Lord provides through the power of His sovereign Word. So look at verses 14, 15, and 16. It begins in 8, then the Word of the Lord came to him. But look at 14. For thus says the Word of the Lord. So here, or thus says the Lord God of Israel. Here's the Word coming. Verse 15, So she went and did according to the Word of Elijah. And then verse 16, The bowl of flour was not exhausted, and the jar of oil did not become empty, according to the Word of the Lord which He spoke through Elijah. God can't emphasize this anymore. I am going to provide for you through my sovereign word. Amen. In times of apostasy, we need to stick with the word of God because that's the power with which God is going to enable you and I to remain loyal in times of apostasy. Now, two observations. Elijah, once again, represents the loyal remnant to God. And so, again, he is modeling for us what God's faithful people do. And what God's faithful people do is when the Lord speaks, what do we do? We obey. And so the Lord says, get up and go. And Elijah did what? He got up and went. Now, parents, don't you wish your kids were that way? You can go, JBU, tell my daughter I wish she was that way, okay? When, when God says, get up and go, what is she supposed to do? Get up and went. Now, here's what's interesting. When you compare these stories, we're supposed to be comparing these stories. When he confronts Ahab in 17.1, the word of the Lord comes to him in 17.2 and says, get out of here and hide yourself. Now he says, get up and go stay in the heart of Baal country. So isn't that interesting? So last week, or last two weeks, the idea was go and hide. Ahab is after you. Now God's word says go, get up and go and stay in the heart of Jezebel country. Whoa. Okay, you're sovereign. I'll listen. Okay, and that's what he does. Very interesting. Get up 
out of here and hide yourself. Now get out, get out and hide yourself. Now it's get up from here and go into the heart. So he's representing us as faithful, loyal believers. But also Elijah is once again represents God to outsiders who are far from God. Now in the previous story, who did he represent God to? What outsider or what unbeliever or disloyal person? He represented God to who? King Ahab, who was an apostate, who was basically living like an unbeliever. Now he's going to represent God to what unbeliever? The Gentile widow who is in the heart of Jezebel country, who is a Baal worshiper. So you get this, you get this picture again and again that God's prophet is a mediator. And he represents the loyal people, the covenant people to God, but he also represents God to both his covenant people and to unbelievers. Okay, so that's what's going, that's what's going on here. And what's interesting is when he represented God to Ahab, he was speaking a word of judgment, but when he's going to go and speak to the widow, the Gentile Baal worshiping widow, he's going to speak a word of salvation. Alright? So we're contrasting the story. So, first way, how does God provide for us? How does He continue? By the power of His sovereign word. The second way is by the providence of His sustaining love. By His providence of His sustaining love. And again, we talked about that in the previous lesson. You have a definition there of providence. It's an important theological theme, doctrine. It's the doctrine of providence tells us that the world and our lives are not ruled by chance, by fate, or by luck, but by the will of our compassionate Creator, our loving Father, and His sovereign Word. Providence reminds us that God cares for His creation, both His own children and even His enemies, right? So, again, we're seeing God's providential care and sustaining love because He says, Elijah, I know the brook dried up, but I've got another source of provision. But also, I'm going to have love and compassion on a Baal-worshipping Gentile widow in the heart of Jezebel country. Now, that's great compassion, isn't it? God could have provided him without, could could have provided for Elijah without providing for that Gentile pagan. But God has a heart for the unbelievers. God has a heart for the helpless and the hopeless. God has a heart for you this morning. And he wants to show his care and his compassion for you. And he's going to do it in his sovereign, providential way. And he's going to show his sustaining love to you. So let's let's look at this. And again, this is a comparison with the lesson from two weeks ago. First of all, this is no longer a place of protection. This is no longer, this place of provision is no longer a place of protection, or so it seems. Right? The first time he said, hey, get out of here and run to the brook Cherith because Ahab is after you, so I'm going to put you in this secret place of protection. Well, now I want you to go into the heart of Jezebel country. You're like, are you crazy? Are you nuts? Yeah, it doesn't seem like a place of protection, but listen up. Wherever God's word leads you is the safest place. 
wherever God's word leads you is the safest place to be, even if it's a place of danger. So he says, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Now, why do I say it's a place of danger? Well, Sidon, the last time we saw Sidon in Elijah's story was back in chapter 16, verse 31. Go to 1631 in your Bibles. I want you to see this in your Bibles. In 1631, King Ahab marries the daughter of King Ethbaal, the king of Sidon. So he's saying, hey, go to the region of the king of Baal worshippers. Go to the region of the high priest of Baal worshippers. I mean, that's just crazy. And we saw where Sidon was. And as I said, Zarephath was about 100 miles from the brook Cherith. And it was only seven miles south of Sidon. So, I mean, he's like, go into the place that lives in the shadows of the throne of the king of Baal. Okay, think about that. And Zarephath was famous for refining silver that would be made into idols. So he's like, okay, here's what I want you to do. Go to the heart of Jezebel country. Go to the heart of Baal worshiping. Go to a city that prides itself on refining silver to make false idols. And there I'm going to provide for you. Think about it. Kind of like the Hayes ministering in the darkness of a Dutch, Dutch culture where there is very little light. This is what God does. This is what God does. It's just amazing. So there he goes. Yet in God's providence, he orders Elijah to not just go there, but he uses a, he, goes, he says, get up, go and dwell there. Make your home there. This isn't going to be, you know, this is, this, it's not going to be forever, but I just want you to plant yourself. Wow. Okay. Secondly, it's still an unlikely place of provision. It's an unlikely place of provision. Why do I say that? Because a widow in Zarephath is going to provide for you. And I already said, a widow providing is an oxymoron. I'm going to send you to a homeless person, and he's going to take care of you. Well, how's that going to work? I mean, that's the idea. Do you get it? And so this is a very unlikely place of provision. Now, two things of irony I want to bring out to you. The first is, it's ironic because Zarephath was a famous port city that would ship out and export grain that you made flour from and olive oil. And yet here is a citizen of Zarephath that doesn't have what? A handful of flour and a few drops of oil. You see, even though this was a rich, powerful, successful city in the world's eyes, when God's judgment comes, no one has an answer for it. So it's ironic. Go to Zarephath, but understand that this great city of grain and, and oil... They don't have much, okay? And then secondly, the widows. The idea of a widow. Here's this destitute, helpless, hopeless person. And, and the thing about widows in that day, they were like the lowest, most poverty-stricken people in that culture. And when they had small children, they were even more hopeless. Their children were called orphans even though they had a mother. 
In that culture, if your father died, you were a widow, and if you had kids, they were orphans. And as I said in the story, the kid's not picking up sticks with her. There's no servants picking up sticks with her. This woman has only herself to rely on, and she can't pull it off. And she's gathering sticks, and it says, the word for sticks there also has the idea of rubbish. She's going to the city gates and picking up anything that can burn. She probably doesn't have much strength left. And she's gathering this, and she's going to go home, and she's going to take uh, light a fire and take the last of her flour and the few drops of oil to bake the bread in, feed it to her and her son, and then we're going to die. Okay, and yet, in the providence of his sustaining love, the Lord promises to provide for his loyal prophet by this unlikely provider, a poor, destitute, Baal-worshipping Gentile widow. That's just radical. And what's more radical is Elijah believes God and goes... You know, I mean, I'd be like, let's talk about this. Let's think through this a little bit, Lord. Let me improve on your plan. Isn't there other places we could go, right? Am I the only one that rationalizes with God? But what does he do? God says, get up and go, and he gets up and he went. Third, it's definitely a place of providence. Only God's providence could plan this. Only God's sovereignty could pull this off. God determines how He's going to provide for us. He determines the where, the how, the when, the how long, and the by by whom. So let's talk about this a little bit. Where is He going to provide? In Gentile territory, not the secure borders, even though they weren't secure for... uh, Uh, They weren't secure for Elijah, but not within the borders of Israel, but rather in Gentile territory, a place of darkness. That's what you want to think through. In enemy territory, not a place of safety. It's a place of danger. In Baal territory, not a place of spirituality and, and, and upliftingness and encouragement, but a place of depravity and demonic deception. Beloved, understand that no matter how bad it gets, how dark, how dangerous, how deceptive, and how demonic our culture is becoming, God can provide for us. Amen? Man, we've got to get that in our heart and souls. If you don't get anything from this series and from this chapter, you've got to get that. God calls His people into the heart of darkness, danger, demonic forces, and deception, and He will provide for you there. Alright? And so that's where. Now, how's he going to do it? He's going to do it with a handful of flour and a few drops of oil. Are you kidding me? Only God's providence could pull that off. I mean, you can hold both these... these, What he's going to use could be held in one human hand, and yet a human hand's not powerful enough to do anything with it. But that placed in God's hand is going to sustain them for years. When's he going to do it? He's going to do it day by day. Now, again, if I was God and I was going to provide for these guys, I'd give them like bushel barrels of flour. I would give them gallon tubs of of oil. And could God do that? Yeah, Jesus had these gallon tubs of water and turned them into wine. But instead, every day when she 
turns, uh, scrapes the bottom of that flower jar, it's empty, and the next morning, there's just a, a, another handful. And then the next day, there's another handful. And then the next day is another handful. Now, I was talking to someone this week thinking about this story. Now, how many of you would stay up and watch the jar? Now, come on, let's admit it. How many? This person said, yeah, you would do that, Chris. I said, oh, come off. Don't you be pious to me. You'd be doing that, too. You'd be like, I mean, you know, right? I mean, you go to bed, it's empty, and the next morning, there's just a little bit again. Now, when did the Lord do it? Well, I don't know, but I don't think you're supposed to be watching. Do you, do you, I don't think you're supposed to be watching. Now, when did he do it? He did it day by day. How long did he do it? He says, I'm going to do it until it rains again. Isn't that amazing? Look, I am going to take care of you in this three and a half year drought. Now, at this point, it had already been at least a year probably. But I'm going to, anyway, the point is day by day. It doesn't matter when it ends. The widow doesn't know. Uh, Elijah doesn't know. That's not the point. The point is, I'm going to provide for you during the worst of times until the rain comes again. And then by whom is he going to do it? By the most unlikely provider, a Baal-worshipping Gentile widow who is undeserving, who had nothing to offer but the little of everything she had. Wow. And yet, in the providence of his sustaining love, the Lord has prepared for Elijah a table in the presence of his enemies. Is that not wild? I'm going to take you into the heart of my enemies, and I'm going to prepare there for you by my providential sustaining love. I'm going to prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Whoa. Was that chance? Was that luck? Was that fate? No, it was providence. It was the sovereign providence provision of God. Finally, it's a place of preparation that now becomes a place of proclamation. It's a place of preparation that now becomes a place of proclamation. Why do I say that? The first time that God led Elijah was to the brook Cherif. No one's around. It's just him, the gurgling brook, and the ravens. There's no one to minister to. There's no one to preach to. There's no one to witness to. But now he's going to provide to him, provide for him, and continue to prepare Elijah, but also enable him to proclaim. So here's the idea: you can't proclaim to others what you don't possess. You can't proclaim to others what you don't first possess. And so God first provided for Elijah, so that Elijah learned that God can provide for me. Now I want you to go and teach this to unbelievers. Now I want you to go be a witness. I want to prepare you to proclaim and pass this on to people in darkness. Is that not a good word? So how does God provide? Number three, by the pathway of our submissive loyalty. By the pathway of our submissive loyalty. Again, this is the pattern we already saw. So I'm going to move through these quickly. First of all, how does God provide? you got to receive the word of the Lord. you got to receive the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to him. And guess what? How did the word come to the widow? Who brought the word to the widow? God, God's man. God's people. 
And by the way, that's how unbelievers hear the word. It's not dreams. It's not visions. It's not God coming and speaking to them. It's God sending his people to them. Okay? So, more we can say there, we must move on. Receive the word of the Lord. Number two, you've got to obey the word of the Lord. Listen, God provides for you. You've got to get in this book, and then you've got to obey what you hear. And this is fascinating. So God says, so let's work through verses 10 through 16. Here's how the obedience works. Elijah obeys the word of the Lord and goes to the heart of Jezebel country, sees a widow picking up sticks at the city gate. How did she know? How did he know she was a widow? Well, more, thank you. More than likely, because she was wearing widow's clothes. You know, they wore specific mourning clothes. So she see, he goes to the city gate and he sees a widow who has uh, a, a, a woman who has the clothing of a widow. And so he tests to see if this is the widow that the Lord had already commissioned by asking her for a little water. And the, and the woman, the widow, immediately responds, Aha, this, I think this might be it. So then he further tests her, because first of all, she obeys. He speaks, basically, on behalf of God. She doesn't know this, but he's speaking on behalf of God, and she obeys. And as she turns to go to get the water, he says, By the way, bring me a piece of bread in your hand. And she wants to obey this, but she stops, and she turns around, and she says, And she swears by the name of Yah, I swear by your God who lives, I don't have enough to take care of you and me and my son. I've got this little handful of flour. i got a few drops of oil. We're about to have our last meal. It's not that I don't want to. It's that I can't do it in my own power. I don't have the resources. And so why? So here's some questions we want to ask. Why did she swear by his God? Why did she swear? Why did she say, as your God? I believe it's because she's not a believer. She's a Baal worshiper. You say, well, why would a Baal worshiper say, I swear by your God who lives? Because in that culture, you, if you were going to show hospitality, you would swear by the God of your guest. Okay? So she's being hospitable. You want water? I'll get it. Oh, now you want bread? Ah, you put me in a shameful, you know, shame culture. I am now being dishonored because I can't provide for your needs. And so I swear by your God, I'm showing you hospitality. I swear by your God, I can't do this. It's not because I don't want to. How did she know the name of Yahweh? Because she says the, the I am God, the promise. How did she know that? This isn't a big mystery. The, the king's daughter is married to Ahab, right? They do trade with Israel. They knew each other's gods. And so he's, she's like, hey, I swear by your God, you're my guest. I want to show you hospitality, but I just can't. And, and Elijah responds by telling her to obey by faith in the promise of the promise-keeping God of Israel. This is beautiful in verse 13. Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Replace your fear with faith. Go, do as I have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me, and afterward you may make one for yourself. And so two principles here of, of active obedience. Replace fear with faith that obeys. Second of all, repent from me first 
to putting God first. That's how that's obedience right there. It's real simple. He says, "Look, look, I know you can't do it, but God can do it through you if you will replace fear with faith in his word and repent of a me first. I got to take care of me and my son to putting God first." How many times do we disobey God because we say, God, I'd like to, but I need to do this first. And God says, no, repent of that. Put me first. Obey me. And after you obey, I'll provide. Isn't that beautiful? And so the third pathway of submissive loyalty is abide in the word of the Lord. Let the word, God's provision, and God's promises feed on them. So day by day, they were satisfied. Now, you know, typically we'd say, okay, I made this, and God's going to provide. So give me a bucket of flour, and give me a gallon of oil. And God says, no, I just want you, you know, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. Give me this day my daily bread. God provides and wants you to be satisfied with feeding on Him on a daily basis, and then He's going to meet your needs through that. I don't know what your needs are this morning, but I bet you as many people are in this room, there's that many needs multiplied by 10, 50, 100. I don't know what your needs are, but I know how God's going to provide. Receive His Word, obey His Word, and then abide in His Word, okay? Now, there's more on the path of provision. We'll see the rest of it next week. This story stretches over uh, two weeks. So, here's what I want you to see for now. We've learned that God continues to provide for us in the same way, even in the worst of times. See, what happens is we go through hard times, and suddenly we dump everything we know, and we expect God to do something really radical to deliver us. And the thing is, when you're in hard times, God has this, this pathway that He wants you to stay on even in the hardest of times. Is that hard to do? Yeah, it is. But we're, Elijah is teaching us how to do it. But now I want to hit the question, why does the Lord do this? Why does the Lord provide for Elijah? And why does He provide for you and I in this way? So let me give you two principles. First of all, the Lord does this to remind us of the truth that our place of provision and protection is the person of Jesus Christ. The Lord provides in this way, day by day, to remind us that our place of provision and protection is the person of Jesus Christ. Now, just like this widow who placed her uh, had an obedient faith in God and His grace, Here's what we can experience. Number one, you will experience with an obedient faith in the person of Christ, you can experience the grace of God's provision. The grace of God's provision. And for her, it was through the prophet Elijah. Now the greatest prophet has come, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you place your faith in Him with an obedient faith, you will experience the grace of of His provision. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus taught 
in his very first sermon, his very first public sermon, was in his hometown of Nazareth in Luke chapter 4. And you know what he said? He stood up to his hometown crowd and he said, Hey, I know you think I'm, the, I'm just simply the carpenter's son, but I'm your Messiah. And they said, We're not interested in you as Messiah. We want miracles. We've heard you've done great miracles. We're hometown people. Do for us and do better what you've done for others. And he says, whoa, wait a minute, you don't understand. It's not about knowing me, you know, having an inside uh, relationship with me uh, on a human level. You need to push, put your faith in me as your master, as your Messiah. And he tells the story of Elijah and he says this, don't you think during that drought there were tons of widows in Israel, apostate Israel? But God sent Elijah to a Gentile widow, Baal worshiper. And what he was trying to say to the hometown crowd is, look, you don't have an inside track. It's by grace. It's by grace. You don't deserve me performing miracles because you grew up with me. He's saying, look, it's not based on that. It's by grace through faith. Isn't that cool? I wish I could develop that more, but that's the idea. Why did he go to that widow? Because she didn't deserve it. It was grace. Sovereign grace. Let's keep moving. Secondly, we experience the goodness of God's provision. We experience the goodness of God's provision when we put an obedient faith in Jesus. Every day was a miracle for that widow and for Elijah. Every day they got up and it was a miracle. And let me tell you, every day we get up, it's a miracle. Right? Every day, listen, you might be in a pit so deep right now, you just wish God would just take you right out of it. But you know what? He'll provide for you in that pit day by day. But day by day, you need to put your faith in God's Word, and the goodness of God will get you through another day. Can I get a witness here? Can I get a... I'm getting, you know, spiritual. Three, the glory of God. You'll experience the glory of God. The glory of God is seen in the goodness of God and the greatness of God in providing. Every day they saw that God cares for widows. Every day they saw God's glory in caring for His prophet who would die if God didn't provide for him. It's just the grace of God, the goodness of God. The glory of God. Well, let me tell you this story. Because God just didn't do that back then. He still does this today. Corey Timboom is one of my great spiritual heroes. And she lived just right outside of Amsterdam, not too far from Alkmaar. Some of you have been able to visit her home with me in the past. And her and her family especially her sister, experienced the grace, the greatness, and the glory of God's provision while they were in utter darkness and the utter danger of a German concentration camp. So if you know her story, her family were arrested for hiding Jews in the city of Alkmaar. Or, uh, I'm sorry, the city of... of uh, oh gosh, what is it? Huh? Harlem. Harlem. I'm sorry, Harlem. I got all my Amsterdam cities 
confused, Harlem, city of Harlem. And when they were arrested by the Nazis, she smuggled into the concentration cup, uh, concentration camp a Bible and a small bottle of liquid vitamins because they knew they were going to be in the worst of times. And her, her sister Bess, Betsy was very sick and growing sicker, but she demanded that Corey first give a dose of this liquid vitamins to all the other sick people in the barracks first before she would accept any. Corey tells that a strange thing began to happen. And here's in her words. Strange thing was beginning to happen. The bottle was continuing to produce drops. It scarcely seemed possible. So small a bottle. So many doses a day. Now, in addition to Betsy, a dozen others on our rack were taking it. My instinct was to hoard it. Betsy was growing so very weak, but the others were ill as well. It was hard to say no to the eyes that burned with fever, hands that shook with chill. I tried to save it for the very weakest, but even these soon numbered 15, 20, 25. And still, every time I tilted the little bottle, a drop appeared at the tip of the glass stopper. It just couldn't be. I held it up to the light, trying to see how much was left, but the dark brown glass was too thick. See, she's trying to, okay, how much, how's this happening? What's going on here? And then her sister said, Corey, there was a woman in the Bible whose oil jar was never empty. She turned to it in the book of Kings, the story of the poor widow of Zarephath. It was one thing, Corey says, to believe that such a thing was possible thousands of years ago. It's another to have it happen now to us this very day. And yet it happened this day and the next and the next until an odd little group of spectators stood around watching the drops fall onto the daily rations of bread. They're the unbelievers, see. They're coming to see the glory and the goodness and the grace of God. Many nights I lay awake. Now, we can relate to her. Many nights I lay awake in the shower of straw dust from the mattress above, trying to fathom the marvel of the supply lavished upon us. Lavished drops. Maybe, I whispered to Betsy, only a molecule of two really gets through that little pinhole and then it expands in the air. See, our scientific minds, our rational minds always want to reduce the miraculous to the reasonable, right? I heard her soft laughter in the dark. Don't try too hard to explain it, Corey. Just accept it as a surprise from a father who loves you. Then Corey writes about the day that another prisoner brought some treasure back to the barracks, a piece of newspaper, a piece of bread, and a small sack of vitamins. Back to the bunk, I took the bottle from the straw. We'll finish the drops first, I decided. But that night, no matter how long I held it upside down, how hard I shook it, not another drop appeared. Until, until, providential, Provision. Are you with me? Why does God do that? Point number two, and this is the main point of the lesson. We have one minute for it. But I think you can now appreciate it. And here's the point. His provision is for the purpose of proclamation to all peoples. 
His provision is for the purpose of proclamation to all people. And let me sum it up this way. Who do we proclaim God's saving grace to? To the dying. Okay, so those of you that haven't had these blank. To the dying. This woman was under a death sentence and he proclaimed the life-giving God to her. Amen? To the dying, to the, to the despairing. This woman was helpless and hopeless. The despairing. Three, to the unbelieving, the outsider. You couldn't get any more outside than going to the heart of Jezebel country. Number four, to the undeserving. This was a Baal-worshipping Gentile woman who was part of a religion that did child sacrifice. And then number five, to the unreached and unengaged. Listen. For security reasons, I'm not going to mention their names. You know who they are. We have missionaries in East Africa who are now discipling the first nine believers of an unreached people group. The first Muslim background believers in an unreached... You can go to the Joshua Project and this people group is unreached, but it's not unreached anymore. It's not unengaged. It's unreached. There's not a great enough percentage for a gospel-making movement, but it's not unengaged any longer. And it's in the heart of darkness. It's in the heart of despair. It's in the heart of demonic deception. It's in the heart, these nine believers' lives are at risk, and our global partners' lives are at risk. And yet, through your love, through your giving, through your prayer, God is providing for them. The reason God provides for us is so that we can leverage His provision to proclaim to the unreached people. Is that not good news? Listen, the reason you're alive today is to proclaim the gospel. Easter is coming. We're doing egg fills. We're doing serving at extravaganza. Listen, God gave you life to serve. So sign up to serve. Who are you inviting? Hey, we got teenagers committing suicide, folks. We got to get the news out. We got to get the focus off of me and put God first. Amen. And take and and I commend you. I'm not I'm not I'm not scolding you. I'm not shaming you. I'm saying the reason the Hayes are there, the reason these global partners are reaching these unreached people is because you're taking your finances and putting God first. You're taking your prayer time and you're praying more than just your family. You're playing, praying for people you have never met. This is the story. I wish I could tell you. know, Jesus actually went to this area in his earthly ministry and ministered to a Canaanite. pagan. Anyway, there's more great stuff. Let's pray. Father, um, your word is powerful. Your provision is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. You give us enough to get through each day, but you give it so that we can give to others. But Lord, we can't pass on what we don't possess. And so, Father, I pray each one has a living relationship. They would turn from trust in themselves to put their trust in Jesus as the greatest prophet of all. And Lord, I pray as you pour your grace out on us, as you reveal your goodness to us, we will proclaim to the people sitting in darkness 
the good news that the Savior, the King, the Prophet, the Priest has come to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And His grace will be sufficient day by day. Lord, may we testify, may we witness, may we go upstairs and sing with joy of Your provision through the person of Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. Amen. Man, isn't Elijah good?